Should old acquaintance be forgot and never brought to mind? Should old acquaintance be forgot and days of old lang syne? Oh, it is our last Way of Kings episode of the year. Ah! Oh. We're barreling towards 2022. Wow. Thank you everyone for listening to My Sister Make Me View It, Way of Kings. Before we get into today's episode, I'm going to flag this for a small content warning. As Emily and I discuss the final chapter, the lesson, we do make mentions of the topics of both sexual assault and suicide. We don't go into depth on either of these topics, but mention similarities, and other media in which these topics are also prevalent. If that's not for you, as we're getting into the last chapter, maybe cut your reading short this week. Thank you everyone who supported us so far, especially thank you to our friends who sent us uh, the fact that we were on their Spotify wrapped for the year. We love and appreciate all of our listeners, and we wish you a happy and hopeful new year. And now, let's get into... My Sister Made Me View It, Books Edition, Discussing The Way of Kings by Brandon Sanderson. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Books Edition. We are currently covering The Way of Kings by Brandon Sanderson. This week we're reading chapters 33, 34, 35, and 36, Somatics, Stormwall, A Light by Which to See, and The Lesson. My name is Megan, and right now I should probably be storyboarding. My name is Emily, and right now I definitely should be working on my book. But instead... Instead... We're making a podcast! We're making a podcast! Uh, This is a very fun bunch of chapters, which we are covering. Uh, If you listened to our last episode, I actually live-read these to Emily, and she edited together a supercut of her reactions. (laughs) Emily, quick take reactions from you. What did you think of this group of four chapters? They were... Very fascinating because a lot of things happened out of order than I would have originally thought. Um, Mm -hmm. Stuff that I thought was going to take a long time actually happened in these few chapters. And there was a few twists and turns that I did not see coming. On our scale of how is Kaladin's day going? Negative 27. I would say this is some of the worst that we've had so far. Poor dude. Uh, but Shallan's story took a pretty extreme couple of turns. It definitely did. It definitely did. I'm very excited to talk about it. <sighs> All right. So even though I miss Dalinar, and I guess we have to settle for Shallan. I like her too. I like her too, guys. Don't don't look at me like that. You will see your beloved Dalinar again <laughs> in. All right. To you know what, I'm not going to tell you it's too many pages, <laughs> and it'll just make you sad. our first chapter is called somatics and at the end of our last episode i asked you if you knew what those were and you did not but do you know now no 
You do, I promise. Uh, look at the illustration on page 618. Oh, okay. <laughs> I do, I do know what they mean. <laughs> so this is a real phenomenon where if you put sand over, I don't know, like a speaker, like you have like a, a, a flat surface you put over a speaker and different types of music create different type of patterns. Um, yeah, so, so different... Yeah, specific tones of resonance. Like you couldn't play, you know, Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata. But if you just play one note Mm -hmm. very loud and very steadily, uh, specific tones vibrate at specific frequencies. And those frequencies have particular shapes. Yes. And so this actually comes up in the the book, in this chapter. There's an illustration um, that shows the different cities um, and how they are arranged. So we've got Akina. Thalen City, Ved- okay, it's written in cursive, so I don't know if that's an N or an R. It's a, it's an N. Oh, Vedenar, Vedenar, yeah, and Kolinar. So, first things first. Here is the little header for the chapter. It says they changed even as we fought them, like shadows they were that can transform as the flame dances. Never underestimate them because of what you first see. Oh, listen. I didn't take any notes in this, but this is a question I've had for a while. Am I supposed to know what a void bringer is? Because I think that's what they're talking about here. Do we know what they are? Do we know what they look like? Have I missed something? They have not explicitly pointed at something yet and said, that's a void bringer. Okay. Dalinar's flashback, did he fight a void bringer or did he fight something else? Dalinar, in his flashback, I believe the the knights that saved him mentioned that those things are like four bringers of void bringers okay. like forebearers i'm gonna i'm gonna double check there's just so many mentions of them that i've been nervous and mm-hmm. i i feel like it's gone on too long for me to fake knowing anything that i'm supposed to know yeah i don't think the no one has pointed to something specifically and said this is a void bringer so back in dalinar's uh vision He's like, oh my gosh, I'm in the time of the desolations. And out loud, he's like, that means the Voidbringers, right? That's what we were fighting. And the knight is a little dismissive. Uh, and she says, no, this was Midnight Essence, though who released it is a mystery. Mm, okay. And and she's like, Voidbringers? No. So, no, Emily, we have not seen what a Voidbringer is yet. Okay. Um, although you are correct in, we're in part three right now. And these headers all seem to be referencing Voidbringers in some way. Okay. Okay. Thanks. Thanks for explaining that. Yeah. So, uh, Shalon is in the library. Uh, again, giving me great memories of when I worked at the BYU library. <laughs> uh, and she's in a huge inner part. Uh, and she, like, describes how it's laid out. It's such a cool set. It's like this large inverted pyramid with staircases winding down, like, all the way around it. Uh, and then these railings, like, on the staircases and things had originally been beautifully carved from wood and then soul cast into stone. And she kind of makes, like, special mention of the texture. It It's the texture of carved wood with, like, the grain and everything in it. But it's got, like, that cool hardness of marble. I'm like, this is just pretty. I felt like Brandon Sanderson has created a really fun world because he could have just stuck it in, like, a medieval time where Mm -hmm, we don't have mm -hmm. anything. But they have all sorts of really cool magic that makes life 
a lot easier with, you know, Fabrials that'll make wine cold or tell you when mm-hmm. people are coming. Like, it's really cool. That, like, it's it's part of the kind of industrial revolution of this. It's part of their everyday life. It's not just mystical magical people locked up in a tower over spell books the magic is a part of like everybody knows what a spren is and it just it feels very lived in like the weather is a part of our world here or the seasons and like all that sort of stuff mm-hmm. it just it it feels naturally integrated into the characters lives mm-hmm. um so she is <laughs> she's basically going to a particular study room that she's reserved and she's going through all of her drawings she's made of Yasna using the Soulcaster. Yeah. She is trying to figure out how to use it. But the problem... And, oh, go ahead. Oh, nope. I was going to ask you a question, but you say your thing. The problem is Yasna doesn't use it around her very often. And so she cannot steal it until she knows how it works. Because that would just... There's no point in having a working Fabriel if you cannot use it. And so she's getting a little desperate because time is running out but she if she takes it now she doesn't know how it works and so the the rare moments she's seen her use it what kind of things has yasna used her incredible sacred soul caster for uh she had she's burned paper um she soul cast wine in a cup into crystal to be a paperweight yasna at one point ran had run out of ink and was instead using the soul caster to burn letters onto a page. Mm-hmm. Is that everything? Yeah. Uh, and the uh, when he said that she burns paper, it's not that she lit the paper on fire. She turned a wadded up sheet of paper. Mm-hmm. She turned a ball of paper into a ball of fire. Yeah. So like instead of being made of paper, it was then made of fire and then just vanished. Yeah. There's no ash to leave anything behind. It's just like it was mm-hmm. paper and now it's fire. Shalon is like. Okay, this is just the casual stuff that she's doing absentmindedly. Like, what does she use it for when no one's around to see her? Mm-hmm. And Shalon has, like, she has the soul, she has her broken soul caster on her at all times. And she's just like, we have repaired it. It just doesn't work. Like, everything's been fixed. Just something is missing. But they don't know what it is. She only gets an hour to herself every day, so she knows she's got to head back soon. Uh, but while she's down here, she uh, remembers because the she's been learning the library cataloging system, which fun fact I worked in a library that did not use the Dewey Decimal System. What we used uh, the Library of Congress filing system. Oh man, which involves a call number that has letters based on the subject that it is. So like. The art books are all under P-A, and the earth sciences are all under N-E. I I can't remember them all anymore because this was 11 years ago at this point. Okay, so it had a letters according to what the subject matter was. That was its own code. And then it would have the author's initials in there, and then it would have a specific number, like narrowing it down after that. So there you go. There are many different kinds of systems of library cataloging, but Shalon's been learning the library catalog system of called Bronth because they use it around the whole world. And she tracks down one of the books she knows Yasna has been reading. And what does Shadows Remembered contain, Emily? What's that about? It's basically fairy tales, like stories for kids. Specifically about... Voidbringers. 
which I know nothing about. And so she's trying to read it fast because she's here on a sneaky mission. Yasna's going to become suspicious if she's down here by herself for very long, but she's she's just trying to like grab any information she can about anything at this point. Well, then she she ends up, you know, returning to her her rooms upstairs and capsule comes by our ardent remember capsule ardent ardent and they flirt a little bit over some bread and jam he brought jam he did she loves jam uh yasna hates jam and he knows this and he ostensibly is that the word i'm looking for yeah he ostensibly is coming to speak to yasna but he keeps bringing jam for Shalon. And always happens to be there when Yasna is not. Hmm. Uh, so they, they talk about, I'm sorry, they flirt about this book that's about what it means. If you like this kind of jam, you're this kind of person. Oh, uh, real quick. She mentions uh, that because Capsule is an ardent, it doesn't matter that he's going to eat jam, a feminine food, that they oh, can yeah. enjoy it together. So I guess ardent's like not that they can do anything they want but they can they can eat you know feminine or masculine food uh, my question is why just because like so they can I, reach out to all people across the sex or i guess i always saw them as like if monks and nuns were grouped together mm. that like you aren't bound by the very strictly gendered roles because you are simply serving the almighty as a person got it that makes sense so and he's talking to her about her divotary she's currently in the div the divotary of purity and he's like uh maybe that's not a fit for you and she's like capsule are you trying to poach me he brings up the subject of the somatics cymatics it's spelled C-Y-M-A-T-I-C-S. So that's probably cymatics. What page are you on? I'm on 632. Okay. Where he starts to show her, you know, he's he's thought of something that he thinks can convert Yasna, which is showing the hand of the Almighty in everything in nature. And he starts to talk to Shalon about the perfect symmetry of these cities. And Shalon is like, okay, but like humans built the city symmetrical on purpose because symmetry is holy in their religion Mm -hmm. and emily this is where you got the explanation for the palindromes and almost palindromes and it's that symmetry is holy but you don't want to be too holy (laughs) so that's why some of the names uh have just like one or two sounds changed at either end so shalon is almost a palindrome and so he is trying to prove using this a little plate somatics demonstration that he's got uh, showing the different uh, musical tones you can play to replicate the patterns of these four famous cities. And his claim is that the Almighty created these symmetrical rock patterns and that's how we see like his hand and everything. Which, you know, to bring something like this to Yasna is a very good move, I feel, on his part. Because mm-hmm. she is very interested in truth and kind of like cold hard facts sort of a thing rather than just like, well, I feel this to be right or I feel this to be wrong. He knows he needs to convince her with like to give her proof. But Yasna shows up and she's not impressed. 
apparently she already knows about this. Yeah, someone else has already tried that. <laughs> and Cabal's just like, oh, man. And she's a little rude about it. Like, not just a little rude. She's really rude. And he leaves because she's being really rude. She asks him about a specific city. Can you tell us what that city is? The city is... Oh, it's a it's a palindrome, but it's it is. there's a lot of vowels. Eurythiru. Eurythiru? Mm-hmm. No, that's too many yep. syllables. No, that was right. It's Eurythiru. Okay. And Capsule's like, Eurythiru is just a fable. And then Yasna's is like, huh, I thought your kind believed in fables. So <laughs> he's like pretty embarrassed himself. And then this is where we got your first gasp because Capsule leaves and then Yasna kind of dismisses that he's there to be friends with Shalon. And she's like, oh, Shalon, has he asked you to try and steal my soulcaster? Yet. Yet. Like, what? <laughs> Obviously, we can glean from this that this is a this is an attempt that's been made before. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> poor Shalon. Okay, I've got thoughts about this. Poor Shalon. Mm-hmm. Who has finally, like, she was talking about, like, oh, the other ardents that my father had were old and crusty and things like that. But here is this person who can kind of match wits with me and is fun. And he really seems to like me and brings me things only to brings find Brings me out, jam. Brings me jam. Only to find out that most likely he's buttering her up. Because here's, here's how I'm seeing it. I'm assuming that he has done this before. Or someone, one of another ardent has tried this before. Um, I I don't feel that it would that Yasna is so um, cynical as to assume this would happen had it not already happened. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But now we're on to Kaladin's no horrible, very bad, <laughs> very worst day. Uh, header of chapter thirty four is: I walked from Abamabar to Urathiru. Uh, this quote from the eighth parable of the Way of Kings seems to contradict Varala and Sinbian, who both claimed the city was inaccessible by foot. Perhaps there was a way constructed, or perhaps Noadon was being metaphorical. Keep an eye out for Urathiru. What's this fable about? Okay. Why is the person, why is the person writing these headings interested in Urathiru? I don't know. Well, what's Kaladin doing right now? He's trying to wake up. Oh, he's just hanging around. <laughs> <laughs> he feels like he's floating, which is kind of true. He's been strung up upside down, hanging head down from the bridgeman's barracks. Mm-hmm. Now, remember, guys, this is after the chapter where he caused a lot of, well, this is after the chapter that they tried <gasps> to Authentic turn- battle damage! <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all the other bridgemen tried to copy him turning the bridge on its side to kind of form a shield. Um, and it ended up in the deaths of hundreds of men. Yeah. And he got beaten very, very badly. <laughs> At least 12 dozen. <laughs> At least 12 dozen. <laughs> but yeah, so he's got broken ribs. One of his eyes is swollen shut. And he's tied upside down hanging off the roof. And still lets him know what happened to everyone else. So um, before he gets beaten to death in the last chapter, he was like, don't kill me. I can speak for you. And Lamoril, the light eyes, was like, oh, I'm sorry. You can speak for me? And Kaladin's like, yeah, uh, I can let them know it was my fault. 
And so Lamro has them beat Kaladin unconscious. Turned out to be a bad move. <gasps> because what happened to Lamoril? He got executed by Sadius himself. Like, yeah. right as they all return back. Because <laughs> High Prince Sadius did it himself. Uh, he said something about the ultimate responsibility falling on the light eyes. Lamoril kept screaming that you'd promise to absolve him. And that Gaz should be punished instead. Whoops. Here's the thing, though. Like, not... Okay, guys. Not that it's a good thing anybody got executed. But now... Gaz doesn't have to pay Lamoral this bribe. Mm-hmm. So, mm, like, I don't know. I don't know where that's going. But I, I did think about that. You're right, because now he doesn't need Kaladin's extra sphere. But he probably that- wants it. Probably. Yeah. But Gaz I mean, isn't, I don't know if he's not punished, but he isn't executed, but he's left in his same position. But I don't know if that means that he just won't be able to be promoted so sill is is telling kaladin all of this and the storm is coming yes because kaladin's not going to be outright executed i think Lamar or um sadius wants to avoid having a martyr mm-hmm. um but instead they've mentioned this before that he's going to be hung out during a high storm and let the all father storm father storm father um decide his fate which I was a little shocked because I thought when this happened, they would have taken him out to a field. Like, I thought they had, like, a field for this. But no, they leave him tied up to the barracks where his men are going to be inside the barracks. Hearing his body slamming around on the roof. Yeah. <gasps> yeah, there's there's a ring bolted down into the roof for just this sort of purpose. Oh, my cat's trying to snuggle with the microphone. Hi, yeah. Kenobi. Kenobi. Yeah, um, but Syl goes inside and she grabs Rock because Rock can see her. Um, Rock, Teft, and Moash come out to kind of tell him goodbye. Stupid Moash. <laughs> um, and it's oh, it's sad. They're they're like, hey, we're we're not gonna go back to the way we were. We're we gonna promise we'll remember you. you. Yeah, we'll still. Do dinner around the fire together, and we'll we'll still uh, laugh, and we'll live. We'll make a tradition out of it. And so this is basically goodbye. Every like they've come out here to say goodbye mm-hmm. because the odds of him being able to survive a high storm are minuscule. Yeah, there's just there's no odds. Like he's gonna die. He is already half beaten to death, and he's tied up by his feet for a hurricane to come and Kaladin gives this uh he sort of puts up this front of courage and he's like all right because not all the men would come outside because you know everyone's very suspicious well rephrase everyone is rightfully horrified of high storms and so everyone mm-hmm. else is in the barracks where it's safe like as the as the wind is starting to pick up and all and Kaladin has this final kind of speech where he's like I want everyone to come back out here when the storm's over. You're going to stand out here in front of me. I'm going to open my eyes and I will have survived. And they're kind of like, sure, Jan. <laughs> sure, Jan. <laughs> sure, Kalajan. Um, But uh, Teft uh, gives him a spear to hold on to. Uh, the last one they were able to save from his pouch because there's a mm-hmm. there's a uh, folk saying that's, you know, carry a sphere with you into the storm. At least you'll have light by which to see. Oh, hey. Isn't that the title of the episode? 
here's the thing though it was because we know that the bridgemen take their spheres with them into battle because mm-hmm. they're too valuable to be left behind so the sphere that kaladin gets is his own but lamoral and gaz took the rest after he was beaten scentless so this one is a it's a, a done there's no the, stormlight in it yeah so they head back inside and still's like hey hey uh kaladin you what happens if you don't survive like after you've made this promise and he talks about a gambling term and it's basically the equivalent of going all in where no one is expecting him to survive and so if they come out and he dies that's like what they're expecting but he's like if i do survive and they come out and they see me like they might see it as a miracle still was silent for a moment do you want to be a miracle no kaladin whispered but for them i will be Oh my gosh. And then we get we get to the action sequence of the high storm and it's so cool and it's so beautiful. Like in front of the storm wall itself, you have uh just a huge curtain of um windsprint that are like riding the wind in front of it. And it's just deep black clouds. And we've talked about this before, but Emily, you've been through hurricanes, yeah? I have. I've been through several. Yeah. I've only been through a tornado, I think. I've been through several eyes of the hurricane. You eyes were, of the storm. You were in the eye of Hurricane Ike, right? The Ike I guy? was. The Ike. <laughs> and um, let me tell you, because it's it storms for hours. Mm-hmm. Hours and hours and hours. And, I mean, tree branches are falling and, root. you know, things are being uprooted and stuff's falling all over. And then it's just dead quiet. I mean, like, eerie, eerie stillness. And you realize you're in the eye of the hurricane and there's more to come. All right. Quick before we go into that, because we're coming to the end of this chapter and the start of the next one, A Light Mm -hmm. by Witch to See. I'm going to read the chapter header real fast. Okay. Though many wished Uruthiru to be built in Alethala, it was obvious that it could not be. And so it was that we asked for it to be placed westward in the place nearest to honor. Perhaps the oldest surviving source mentioning the city, requoted in the Vavabrar, line 1804. What I wouldn't give for a way to translate the dawn chant. Mm. 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 So West, listen, you've got me going back to the map. Yeah, you do. Yeah, I do. You've, you've ruined me. Uh, real fast to let you know, um, Alethala, the uh, capsule talked about it. Alethala was the ancient word for Alethkar, and Mm -hmm. it's a palindromic version. So if it was, like, if we're reading this literally and it was placed the furthest west, Mm -hmm. that's away from the high storm uh, origins, correct? No, uh, they didn't say west. Oh. What? Don't they say? They do say west. Westward, in the place nearest to honor. I don't know what honor is. Huh. Did I just, did I, no, did I blow no. your mind? No, no, Uh, All right. Well, where's Uruthiru, Emily, if it's westward? Where is the place nearest Honor? I don't know where Honor is. <laughs> honor! <Where> is Honor? <laughs> I don't know. I know okay, where. Okay, well. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But the, that's that's good you went for the map. You've ruined me. You've corrupted me. 
No, I've improved. <laughs> You've enriched my life. I've enriched your life. Uh, it was very funny. Um, so our other sister came to visit me for a couple weeks, and she read me out loud the Thief series by Megan Whalen Turner while she was here. And three or four books in, I'm like, oh, is there a map in any of these books? Is there a map that lets me know where Sunus, where Edis, where Atolia all are? And she's like, Actually, in the fourth book, I think there is a map. And yes, finally, the Thief series has a map. And so now <laughs> I I know where everything is situated. Nice. So a lot of this chapter is the the storm itself. Like, there's, there's a boulder that crashes right next to him on the roof. Just, like, picked up and hurled by the storm. Um, he gets blown up in the air like a kite, only tied to the roof by his feet. Like, I just wonder if... The rope had snapped, like, would he just keep going until he hit the pure lake? Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> or at least just going until the uh, until the storm, you know, runs out of energy. Because we know by the time it hits Carl uh, Bronth, where Shalon is, that it's not even as strong. Right. But basically, if, if you go to the map, <laughs> um, so these storms are huge enough that they at least make it rain across the entire world. So, like, it's a big enough storm system that it moves across the whole world. Um, but it's it builds up in the ocean of origin. There's really nothing on the shattered plains to stop it because it's, you know, just a bunch of plateaus and things. So for, for all intents and purposes, there's just a big flat open plain for the storm to sweep across. And then it hits... Uh, Alethkar, which is where it's like the strongest. And by the time it gets to the Pure Lake, you're right, it is kind of like more gentle rains and things. It may not even make it all the way to Shinovar. I'm looking at these big mountains. But yeah. But um, <laughs> in this chapter, it crosses the unclaimed hills and then it just hits Kaladin. <laughs> That's the only thing in its way. There's not a lot blocking it. But yeah, he is, I'm surprised nothing dislocated. Yeah. Like, I'm surprised uh, he didn't get a leg pulled out of a hip socket or anything like that. There are moments where he, like, dares to open his eyes. There's there's a bit where he gets his hands around the ring set into the roof. And he sees Syl in front of him, this tiny, tiny little windspread. And she's got her hands up trying to stop the storm to try and protect him. <laughs> uh, but this is when his fingers go numb and he loses his hold on the ring and gets slapped around on the roof some more i'm thinking like a like a bugs bunny looney tunes kind of thing <laughs> where he's just getting wham slam slam and so he's clearly getting very hurt but he doesn't lose hold of the sphere in his hand right and then you mentioned being in the eye of a hurricane mm -hmm. uh, all of a sudden the storm goes quiet and it's there's complete silence and everything's black. Yeah. So everything is like deep darkness. And he can't even feel the pain of anything anymore. And he sees a face in the clouds. Not just like a normal size face. Like, yeah. Like, to me it felt like it was filling the whole sky. Mm -hmm. Like, that's all and he could see. Yeah. Remember. It's, so it's... <laughs> It's dark in the storm, and this face is also, like, deep blackness. It stretches across the whole sky. It's it's incomprehensibly huge, but he can still somehow see all of it. And that's when the sphere in his hand explodes with stormlight. 
eventually, finally, Kaladin gets knocked unconscious. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. And we cut to the next morning from Rock's point of view. Uh, Emily, what were you thinking here as we read it? Listen, I knew... I knew he had to be alive still after this thing had happened. But I was... I was only, like, 1% worried that he was going to be dead. Like, there mm-hmm. was still, like, a small... Ch- we talked about this before. Main characters did die... Did we talk about it on the podcast? We did. Main characters oh. die all the time in Brandon Sanderson's books. We talked about yeah. this, like, in the very beginning. Yeah. Yeah. But... P- like, point of view, main characters. Mm-hmm. But Kaladin's story obviously wasn't, like... I didn't feel like there had been an arc, and I felt like this would have been a really weird place to end his story. So I wasn't worried. I'm more worried about what will happen afterwards when Sadius realizes this guy is alive and the High Storm father judged him to be okay. (laughs) Like, you're okay. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. So, uh, so um, yeah, when Rock comes out and, like, everyone, like, kind of comes out and looks at Kaladin. And Kaladin does open his eyes and people, like, fall flat just being like, you know. Rock starts screaming in his native language. It takes him a moment to realize he's, like, yelling directions in the wrong language. But they're like, we got to cut him down. Oh, do you know what? I misspoke. I said this was Rock's point of view. This is Teft's point of view. Yeah. My bad, y'all. Um, because Teft picks up, you know, everyone's scrambling to help Kaladin and Teft, uh, picks up the sphere that he dropped and the sphere has no stormlight in it. I think somehow Kaladin is absorbing it. He is either like a god reborn or I, I don't know, a herald Mm. that has crash landed and doesn't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Uh I don't know. Uh Uh-huh. No, these are these are great guesses, but yeah, you're right. He's been having problems with done spheres through the whole book series. Yeah. Like when he goes to the money changer and they're like, these don't have any light in them. He's like, I don't know, Gaz just gave them to me. I don't I don't know. Uh and whenever he's taking spheres out on the battlefield, they always come back done. So good eye, Emily. You've been paying attention. All six hundred and forty nine pages. <laughs> Not all of them actually. <laughs> No, we're we're over halfway there. Um, because I don't correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think they've mentioned him having this issue in any of the flashbacks or anything like this. I feel like it's only been a recent development. Hmm, curious. <laughs> Put Dunn Spears on the watch list. List watch. <laughs> <laughs> Teft is still kind of like because it says Sadius himself had declared the Stormfather would choose Kaladin's fate. Everyone knew that meant death. And so people, this, I don't know if they ever give the the um, odds or the statistics of survival rates, mm-hmm. but I'm, assu- I'm guessing it doesn't happen hardly ever. And for Kaladin to be alive, um, it's, it's a big deal. And so I almost wonder if this is going to make Sadius even angrier. If he be- because I don't know how much of a believer Sadius is, and if he only said that because he's like, well, if I kill him, it'll make him a martyr. But if I put him out, all these people who believe in the Stormfather will be placated. 
But if Sadius doesn't believe that and he feels cheated that Kaladin's still alive, I don't know what's going to happen next. And that makes me more nervous than Kaladin being strung up in a high storm. Because Tef says, uh, let's see, Tef stood up straight holding the Dun Sphere, an empty sphere after a storm, he thought, and a man who's still alive when he should be dead. Two impossibilities. So they they're, they cut Kaladin down, and he's more hurt than he was before, so they've got to take care of him. Oh, yeah, um, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. Hey, do you know what it's time for? It's time for the lesson. It's time to talk about the lesson. Okay, so when I when I decided I was going to live read these chapters to Emily, I had a note that was like, read all four of these chapters to Emily. And I'm reading through the first Shalon chapter to her out loud and being like, why did I say read this one? Why didn't I have her read this herself? Like... Like, it's, it's fun, and it's got cool world-building stuff. I like the, the sand on the plate demonstration and all that, but I'm like, this is kind of dry for a live read. Why did I want to include this? It's because that chapter paired up with the lesson <laughs> is so good because every way that we see Yasna use the soul caster in Shalon's sketches are the, the three ways that she uses the soul caster which i didn't quite get but i think like in the back of my head i was like how long story short megan pointed it out to me and i felt like an idiot for not being like cinematic parallels (laughs) um i guess like not technically because because the third way is she turns something into smoke but But we have uh, seen her do that before Yes, we saw her turn the huge boulder into smoke mm-hmm. way, way back in part one when we first met her in Shalon. But anyway, we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. Let me read uh, the, the chapter header for the lesson. And it is taking the dawn shard known to bind any creature voidish or mortal. He crawled up the steps crafted for heralds, ten strides tall apiece toward the grand temple above. From the poem of Ista, I have found no modern explanation of what these dawn shards are. They seem ignored by scholars, though talk of them was obviously prevalent among those recording the early mythologies. Hey, um, you had a theory about who was writing the part two chapter headers. Mm-hmm. You, you had a theory that it was a letter either to or from Hoyd, I think. Yes, I think I believe it was. I believed Hoyd was writing this letter taunting whoever is looking for him. Who is... Okay, what do you think these... Okay, so so part one, we had those uh, people's final words Mm -hmm. that and when they were recorded and who they were recorded from. And then part two, we had that letter. So what do you think these part three epigraphs are? I think they are from that shadow book. I think these are the the fairy tales uh, from the kids' book. Because it sounds like something a hero would do, like, oh, they're mm-hmm. on their hands and knees crawling to the end goal or whatever. That's just kind of the mm-hmm. vibe I got. I think one of them is cited maybe as being from the Book of Shadows. Oh, okay. But, uh, and I, I know it's been a bit since you've read all of these, but uh, they're all cited as being from different works. 
Oh. So, like, there's one that's from a Thalen proverb, and this one's from a particular poem, and this one is says it's collected directly from Talatin, a radiant. Um, so these are all different things that are... Oh, okay. I'm going to change my, I'm going to change my guess because they all, okay, wait, now I'm going to feel silly if I'm just like, they all do this because the, the one just mentions the void, like void ish or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it talks about a fantasy place, I guess is the best word for it. I'm wondering if these are, um, yes, I'm wondering if this is a research that Yasna is doing. This is from scrolls or books that she's been researching because she's trying to find stuff out on void bringers, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And now next up, sorry, we'll get into the story part in a second. Uh, Remember the art in front of the chapter? We've got that little circle with the symbol in it. Yeah, it looks like it gives me very Saruman vibes, (laughs) like the, Mm -hmm. the tower. Yeah. Anyway, that's been Shalons all the way through. What do you think that is? I think it's a city on the water, like coming out of the water. It looks, I don't know. Okay. It looks like it has a big Iron Man arc reactor in the middle of it. Cool, 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 cool. All right. <laughs> it's it's funny because this one's pretty obscure. Like, it's, it's hard to decipher. I mean, Kaladin's is Spears. That's pretty straightforward. Mm-hmm. And then Dalinar's was his... Uh, his sigil, the colon sigil, and then Seth's is actually just a picture of Seth. So, <laughs> anyway, the lesson Shalon is reading while Yasna is bathing. Is she reading out loud or is she just reading to herself? Sorry. She's reading to herself. Okay. Um, and it's not one of the library books because obviously the librarians are not going to allow them to bring a library book into the bath <laughs> room. I lost a lot of good room. books. To my younger sisters in the bathtub. You did not lose your... They don't dissolve when they hit the water. They're never the same again. Uh, I have a copy of Men at Arms, Mm -hmm. a Terry Pratchett book that is completely held together with binder clips because I took it to a sauna once. Why? Because I wanted to read it again. And uh, the heat, it wasn't, it wasn't a humidity sauna. It was a heat room sauna. So I'm like, oh, it'll be fine. Uh, The heat melted the glue in the book (laughs) binding. And the whole thing's just a pile of loose pages now. (laughs) I bought a second copy that I can lend out to friends when I want them to read Men at Arms. But um, yeah, whoops. Uh, So what is the book she's reading? What's it about? Uh, it is, it is, you know, I can't remember if it's Gavilar's, uh, account, but it's, it's someone meeting the Parshman. It is Gavilar's account. It is Gavilar's and account. Okay. the scribe who took it down was Yasna. Oh. Sorry, guys. Megan read this to me and I didn't go back and reread it before this. And so, yeah, I missed uh, it we aren't days. supposed to be recording tonight. This is actually our third podcast of the night. <laughs> we just, we recorded uh roswell and we recorded uh episode zero of hill house and at the end of it i was like i could do another podcast could you could you do another podcast and emily very graciously said yes but it's been four weeks since we read this and i didn't give her adequate warning she said she said she was going to read it through again and i didn't give her the chance i'm like let's record now (laughs) 
I'm here for the long haul. Yeah. So, you know, in, in the Voran culture, that's that's the religion name. In the Voran culture, uh, we know that men don't read or write. And so Gavilar would have dictated all of this to Yasna. And oh, we find out about women's script. Oh, yes. I loved it. I loved it. So so Shalon is reading through and, and, you know, Gavilar is pointing out like, hey, we ran into some Parshmen who were unlike any Parshmen we'd ever seen. The Parshmen that we had kind of known up to this point are docile servants. But these Parshmen that he has met, they're living on their own. And that's not supposed to be possible. And so Gavilar is expressing his surprise at this. Um, and as Shalon is reading about this, uh, it says she looks to the bottom of the page and she finds a, a script, a, a note added by the, the scribe. undertext. By unspoken agreement, the undertext was never shared out loud. Here a wife would sometimes clarify or even contradict the account of her husband. The only way to preserve such honesty for future scholars was to maintain the sanctity and secrecy of the writing. So it's like a, a Google Doc with comments on it, but uh, not everybody can see them. And so Yasna talks about how like, oh yeah, I've I've edited my father's words to be more appropriate and scholarly. Um, so like she's she's rewritten what he said to sound basically fancy, fancy talk. Yeah. Which he, she says that he instructed me to do so, but she wanted to mm-hmm. make note of that. So like men who aren't allowed to read can only have books read out loud to them and they never get to access the footnotes ever. They don't even know they exist. What? <laughs> I think that's such a fun i love that too this unspoken language you know because what i find interesting about this is like i said it's not said in like quote-unquote medieval times where like i feel like a lot of those stories are women overcoming and doing things that they're not supposed to be doing and stuff like that and i love this society where there are very clear gender roles but there are layers to those gender roles as well it's not so straightforward and, like, I'm sure there are people who are dissatisfied that, you know, mm-hmm. and, like, people who do wrangle at, there's still clear inequality. Right. Um, but, so, I'm going through, uh, I'm going through this book series on another podcast. Uh, the podcast is called Animorphology, but I'm on just the Everworld book episodes. And the thing about Everworld that's been kind of irritating us is me and the other hosts. This is something we talk about all the time on this podcast. Uh, our four Earth teenagers are our main characters, and they travel to pretty much this alternate dimension where all the other mythologies and cultures from history all exist together. But the thing is, is that every single culture that we've run into is still sexist and misogynistic, exactly how our modern cultures are today, when historically that was not accurate. Everybody had their own very special way of being biased and prejudiced and stuff. And it's very fascinating to read this book where, yes, there's still sexism, but it's different. (laughs) Our sexism Uh, is different. (laughs) Yeah. It's like uh, 
I'm going to throw out Game of Thrones basically has misogyny and sexism very much like our world, like historically how it was, Mm -hmm. how women were used and kind of shut out of society and, and being the important decision makers, all that sort of stuff. And the way that uh, this world is set up in Way of Kings, men are shut out of important intellectual advancements and women are shut out from like, you know, action and like physical spaces. Mm-hmm. And it's it's interesting that there's inherent uh, strengths and weaknesses built into the expectations for both genders. Yep. I agree. And it really makes you think, huh? <laughs> <laughs> We live in a society. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, But yeah, I just, that just really tickled my fancy of like, uh, listen, it's, I feel like it's a strength and a weakness of mine is I like knowing things. I like knowing things (laughs) I probably even shouldn't know. Like, I like knowing things. And I feel like I would have, like, I really would have loved this to be like reading something out loud and seeing like a footnote and being like, I know something you don't. And just being, like, real smug about it. Oh, we find out Yasna is 34 years old. Oh, yeah. Shalon's <laughs> like, 34? That seemed ancient. <laughs> uh, listeners, at the, re- at the recording of this podcast, I am 31 and one half and one week. It was my half birthday last week. Happy birthday. Thank you. Only half, half of a happy birthday. Yeah. Happy birthday. <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe we recorded three episodes in a row with a mistake. Oh. Basically, here's what is happening for Shalon right now. She's like, oh no. I'm emotionally invested <laughs> in Yasna as a person. Like, it was easy to think about robbing her when she was just, like, this mysterious, rich, privileged princess. But now I'm getting to know her, and I, I love learning. I love this. I love this life I've got, even though it started from, you know, like, deception. And she has a clear shot, a, a clear moment where she could switch out the Fabrials. Mm-hmm. Because Yasna is floating in this pool, eyes closed. It's just her and Shalon. Um, mm-hmm. And this is like the perfect opportunity to do this. And she can't do it. Yeah. She, she can't bring herself to do it. Although, oh, we're getting some cool world building as to how bathing works. Like um, their, their shampoo is in powder form. You have to mash it up in your hand to turn it into a lather. There's Fabrials that heat the water. Oh, yeah. Claude Bronth has real fancy, like, this This sounds like a dream bathroom, actually. When I build, when I build my custom replica of the Montegaroni Villa from Assassin's Creed 2. <laughs> I knew I... If you had asked me what your dream house would have been, I could have told you that right then without you saying anything. <laughs> I'm going to include a bath room based off of this place. Like, it's 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 big enough to float in. Like, Yasna's yeah, basically doing the dead man's float in here. And it's heated water comes in from the, t- from the tap and there's mosaics and it's beautiful 
uh, back one more thing. Um, so Shalon is trying to either build up the guts or build up her courage to steal the Fabriel. She and Yasna start talking and she misses her moment. They talk about what did the Parshendi have that King Gavilar wanted. And uh, they start talking about the gemstones that the, the Parshendi have woven into their beards, which have been brought up a few times before. And again, this is a good, a fun piece of world building. Yasna was saying, you should have seen our shock when we discovered where they'd gotten them. When the Lanceran died off during the scouring of Amiya, we thought we'd seen the last of the gem hearts of large size. But yet here's another um, great shelled beast with them. So it seems like the Alethi had killed off a race, or a, not a race, killed off yeah, a, a species. A species, thank you, of animals that had these gem hearts. And it's just interesting because Dalinar had brought this up like, well, what happens when we hunt these to exhaustion? They've already done that to another species. Mm-hmm. I doubt there's a third race or third species that has gem hearts. Like, these yeah. people are being very greedy. It's like if uh, you relied on woolly mammoths for uh, ivory, but now the woolly mammoths are all gone. Ooh, but then you discover elephants, mm-hmm. you know, sort of like along those same lines. Yeah. What are you eating that looks very good? I'm eating lamb stuffed naan. Oh, yummy. It is very good. It's very soft, too. So thanks for not crunching. Yeah, it's, it's podcast appropriate. Although you may have to cut out my quiet mouth chewing. <laughs> it's time for something more hands-on. And Shalon's like, oh, you mean like natural sciences? And Yas is like, nope, philosophy. And Shalon's like, is philosophy hands-on? <laughs> and Yas is like, it's the way I do it. <laughs> And so they dress and go out uh, at night on the town at night. They dress up fancy and go out on the town mm-hmm. and they go out. I, they don't have a, a guard or anything like that. Yasna's just wandering the streets. And- yeah, there's there's palanquins that you can take or carriages like like how Shalon rode in when she first saw the city. Mm-hmm. And Yasna's like, no, we don't need that. And uh, Shalon is very sheltered. And she's getting nervous. Mm-hmm. Because one of the things that is making her nervous is Yasna has pulled off her, her glove. And is she showing off the Fabriel or just gems and on the rings that she's wearing? Uh, I don't think she's she's showing off the thing just yet, but she does eventually. But I want to say a moment when Shalon's like, oh, shouldn't we get in a palanquin? And then Yasna's like, a palanquin could inhibit the philosophy lesson. <laughs> And so she is, she's deliberately calling attention to them without being avert. She's basically calling attention to the sort of people she wants to call attention to. Mm-hmm. Um, um, she, oh, go ahead. You were right, Emily. She does pull off her glove and has her gem encrusted soul caster. It's got three big gemstones in it. Um, and she they pulls glow. them out and they're lighting up. Yeah. Yeah, they glow. And uh, Shalant, again, is just like, hey, hey, guess what? Let's not. That's not wise. Let's let's not do anything that could bring us trouble. Oh, she says, is it wise to be doing this? And Yaz is like, nope. Guess how many people yeah. have been murdered here? <laughs> and Shalom's like, oh, brightness. Uh, so so Yasna, the, here's here's the basically the philosophy lesson. Yasna's like, Shalon, you want all the answers. You want adults to give you all the answers. Um, and you're frustrated when the answers aren't simple. 
because, you know, answers aren't simple. And she starts to tell Shalon kind of this story that, okay, we're by the theater district. Uh, the fastest way to get there from this main thoroughfare is to cut through this alley. And wealthy theater goers, you know, people dressed like us, uh, have been going through this alley and getting robbed and murdered. The city watch has been told about it and they're doing nothing about it. Uh, the king has like asked people to take care of this problem. No one has. Uh, and people are still getting murdered here. So, uh, Emily, what's been happening in this alleyway? Well, people have been getting murdered. <laughs> oh, were, were people getting murdered? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Shalon realizes, and because Yasna's like, we're, she doesn't say we're going to do something about it. But um, they've attracted the attention that Yasna was hoping for. Of the murders. Of the murders. And Shalon is frozen in fear. Because she has been extremely sheltered. Like, being traveling all over to find Yasna is the first time she's really been out of her family's estate. And all of a sudden, mm -hmm. she's coming face to face with people that she has no hope of overcoming. You know? And, like, she's been traveling pretty safely as well like she's she has a ton of money and so she's got payment on nice ships with respectable people that like have shown her around the city have been her guards so like and and then she's been living in the palinaeum which is directly under the king's protection so she's been safe this whole time and this is the first time i think shalon on this journey has been in actual immediate danger mm-hmm and so the men come to do what they've been doing, robbing and murdering. And mm -hmm. uh, Yasna uses her soul caster in all the ways we've seen her do it before to these people. She turns a man, the first one, she turns a man into fire. Yeah. Yasna's hand sank into the man's skin and he froze. A second later, he burned. No, he became fire, transformed into flames in an eye blink, Rising around Yasna's hand, they form the outline of a man with head thrown back and mouth open. For just a moment, the blaze of the man's death outshone Yasna's gemstones. So, poof. <laughs> Flesh, fire. And she, she touches another guy and just turns him into solid crystal. In cartoons, when stuff like this happens, like when someone gets encased in ice in a cartoon... Like, their eyes can still look around. Oh, don't worry. They're fine. No, no, no. This this man is dead. He's just completely turned into solid crystal. Yeah. And it's just, she just, like, casually brushes his shoulder with her fingers. Like, there's no, like, her concentrating and, like, I'm turning you into crystal. It's just, like, poof, you're crystal. Yeah. Uh, the final two guys, she doesn't even touch. Mm -mm. They're, like, across the alley from her, and she turns them into smoke. Greasy greasy dark smoke stormlight shot from yasna's hand like twin bolts of lightning symmetrical one struck each of the footpads and they popped puffing into smoke their empty clothing dropped to the ground with a sharp snap the smokestone crystal on yasna's soul caster cracked its light vanishing leaving her with just the diamond and the ruby and then yasna just calls for a palanquin and they leave so after the men have been turned to smoke we realize like I said the one of the gems has been 
I guess she used it up or whatever and it's cracked. Yasna mm-hmm. doesn't, she's not worried about this at all. She just pops it out and we understand she's going to sell it to a gemsmith who can cut smaller gemstones from the salvage piece. And so mm-hmm. just because one of the pieces is broken doesn't mean it's completely broken. Yes. Which I feel is good news for mm-hmm. Shalon. Because we'll get to the lesson in just a second, but I, nope, we'll talk about this at the end. Sorry, I was about to give away the ending. Okay. But uh, I, I do want to, let's definitely put a pin in that because I want to talk about the gems, the specific gems that Yasna has. Okay. But. Um, <laughs> Hasna. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Emily, what's Shalon's reaction to all of this? She is absolutely horrified. I mean, Yasna just killed four people in front of her. And this, I, philosophy fascinates me because people will throw out the weirdest scenarios, like the trolley problem. Do you kill yeah. one person to save four people? Do you save one person to kill to save one person? You like, it's just, I hate that. It does, there's no solution. Yes, there is. You drop the evergreen shipping container <laughs> on top of all the trolley tracks and then none of the trolleys can get by to kill people. So this conversation that Yasna and Shalon have is extremely fascinating and like they're both in different camps on this because Shalon's like you killed people and Yasna's like I I defended myself and Shalon's like you attracted them on purpose and Yasna's like they shouldn't have been doing that in the first place and nobody else was taking care of it and mm-hmm. how many other people would they have murdered and like oh it like each side has legit like points of view and i don't know whose side i come down on um uh i come on yasna's side a thousand percent yeah i like i agree with you uh because so go ahead sorry go ahead the men coming to kill yasna and shalon Mm -hmm. have killed many many people assuming they could not defend themselves Mm -hmm. and we shouldn't feel bad for these multi-time murderers because Yasna has this Fabriel that lets her defend herself. It's like, okay, one of the things that makes this philosophy lesson, I think, just so stark and, and like really uncomfortable is a lot of the arguments are paralleled to uh, sexual assaults. Yes. And, and I think that was very deliberate on, like, Brandon's part and, like, the tone he's setting for this chapter that, oh, well, but did you see how Shalon and Yasna were dressed? Of course thieves would come after them if they go to a bad part of town. And it's like, no, 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 no. Um, you don't deserve to be murdered for what you're wearing. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, I... I think Yasna's in the right. And also she she lists that like, hey, the city guard isn't doing anything about this. It's possible that these men are in fact even paying off members of the city guard so they can continue uh, to do this stuff. So literally there is no one else who can stop it. Yasna's Batman. And if you have a problem <laughs> with Yasna, you have a problem with Batman. So I guess I guess what I'm saying is if Shalon and Yasna had had this as a conversation as, well, here's all the facts. People who walk down a certain street get murdered. The city guard does nothing about it. If we go and take care of the problem 
and draw them mm-hmm. out like that sort of way I, I feel that would be more like the trolley problem but yeah yeah I do see now like putting putting Yazna and Shalon in the middle of it real time Ugh. so I okay I'll I'll backstep on a little bit of what I said I think Yasna was in the right except I don't think she should have brought Shalon with her right like I think I think the way she treated the attackers was correct. I think the way she treated Shalon was wrong. I like that because, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yep, yep, mm-hmm. yep, yep, yep. Um, but because of how easily she did it, Emily, uh, I think Yasna's done this before. Um, I would not be surprised in the least. I think we have a cool vigilante princess. <laughs> and it's not a serial killer because it's for the good of the people. <laughs> reminds me of there's a star kid musical called holy musical batman and it is a spoof on batman and assorted dc superheroes and also spider-man's there too there's a scene where superman is complaining to the green lantern uh about batman and uh superman's talking about how it's so ridiculous that all of Batman's villains continue to to cause problems. They keep coming back. And he's like, and everyone thinks Batman is so great, but like he can't even do the most important part. Okay, uh, have you heard of Mr. McSpitlick? And Green Lantern's like, no. And Superman's like, that's right. That's because I do my job. <laughs> <laughs> because Superman kills people and Batman like famously doesn't. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Shalon is shell shocked at all of this. You're exactly right. I think, I think shell shocked. <laughs> I think Yasna is too concerned about being right because I feel mm-hmm. like she's going to argue this philosophical question back and forth, but has already decided. She's already made her decision and has already acted on her decision and what she's going to do. And Shalon just does not have that in her to see real-time consequences so shocking and she's and also it's... horrified because mm-hmm. this is a holy relic that is being used oh, yeah. to kill people that i think is what she has that's one of the biggest problems she has with this whole thing mm-hmm. is that it's this is supposed to be a holy article and it's just been used to turn someone into fire so you and i have a mutual friend that we talked about in our Hill House episode zero, mm-hmm. who she's the one who recommends us all the beautiful, scary stuff we watch. Yes, that you watch. <laughs> and that you mostly watch, but muted. Yeah. And so the way I'm seeing this is like, our friend is like Yasna, who ha- watches this stuff all the time, and it doesn't bother her that much. But you and I watch something scary like this, and it's nightmares, and sleeping with the lights on, and uh, and it's like they have different levels of tolerances for this sort of thing. And I think this also, again, speaks to the theory that Yasna's done this plenty of times before, that for her, it didn't seem like it was a big deal. But for for all we know, for all that, that she's told us about already, has Shalon ever seen something like this before? I don't think so. I would be so intrigued for a firsthand account or whatever of the first time Yasna did this and how she reacted. Like, was she doing it as an exercise in philosophy or was she doing it as a reaction to save her own life, to save someone else's life? 
Yeah. I want to know how we got to this point. Like, I don't know what sort of training you have to go through to use a Fabriel, but... <gasps> Did her mom teach her how to do it? You think you think Navani taught Yasna how to kill people? <laughs> well, her mom is, a, is an inventor of Fabriels, a rather famous mm-hmm. one. Here's something to consider. You're really enjoying Was... that lamb, aren't you? <laughs> I know it's really good. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I'm doing a podcast with my mouth full, but this is our third podcast in a row and I'm hungry. The first time Yasna killed someone, was it on purpose or was it an accident? <gasps> I didn't even think about that. Because both are terrible. <laughs> Could you imagine like magically murdering somebody and not even realizing you had the capacity to do it? And depending on how she did it like if it was fire or smoke there's no body Mm -hmm. if no one sees her no body if there's no body that falls in the forest did a murder really happen (laughs) it's very rogue from (laughs) x-men all right and shallan is also conflicted about this because she's like the people that yasna killed were terrible and like shallan has no doubt they would have killed them like i don't think she feels like that was an an issue or a question but but the way that yasna did it and she didn't do it with glee but she did it with very little effort like Mm -hmm. yasna or shallan is now looking at yasna in a whole new light where she was kind of like hero worshiping her and and this is this is the scene where yeah the hero you know mr incredible sends buddy home and (laughs) yeah yeah um and oh yeah, and when they when they get back, because like the, the Palangine ride is basically silent most of <laughs> the way home. When they get back, Shalon's finally like, "You didn't have to kill all of them." Yeah, you could have killed like one of them as an example. And Yasna's like, "No," because like as scared as they would be, I'm not going to take the chance that that they would slip up later. Because doesn't she say? Oh, go ahead. Sorry, I know I just tangented about away. Holy musical Batman. Uh, now I'm going to tangent about my. One of my favorite episodes of Person of Interest. <laughs> uh, it's in the first season. So quick thing about Person of Interest is our main characters have, there is a machine that scans everyone's electronic everything. And it was designed to stop acts of terrorism. But this machine sees everything and that means it sees all kinds of violent crime. But the government's not interested in plotted murders unless, you know, they're people also moving against the government so our main characters have access to every week they get a new person of interest who's going to be involved in some sort of premeditated violent crime and it's their job to figure out what the crime is how this person is involved if they're the victim if they're the perpetrator and they have to stop them and this particular episode has a lot of similarities to this uh yasna shalon story um because it's someone who is a serial sexual assaulter like he has gone after multiple women and one of his victims ended up killing herself and her sister is hunting this man down to kill him this tangent's going on longer than i thought but here we go (laughs) so one of our main characters intercepts her after she has kidnapped uh after she's kidnapped her intended target and listen another reason why i love this episode is her name is megan and i just like hearing jim caviezel say my name (laughs) (laughs) uh jim caviezel who's who's acting our cool character he takes this guy and he's like hey i don't want you to be a murderer i'll take care of him he tells that to megan 
he tells that to Megan. And the final scene is him and this guy. So this guy wakes up. He was drugged. He was unconscious. And they're sitting at a little table by a window in a house by the sea. And there's a gun on the table between them. And our main character looks at the bad guy and says, all right, convince me why I should let you live. And it's this conversation back and forth between the two of them with the with the bad guy. He's like crying and being like, I'll never, I'll never do it again. I promise. And he's like, well, should I take that chance on you? Can people change? And the guy's like, ah, I can change you. You can change. And the episode ends without revealing what the final choice was. But they have this philosophy discussion back and forth across it with one guy begging for his life and the other guy being like convince me convince me it's really good i love person of interest emily should we do a person of interest yes because guess what i just got the last season for christmas i haven't seen the last season yet so are you saying we could do podcast of interest (laughs) (laughs) yes i'm in okay but listen since it's so heavily like victim of the week serialized Maybe we could cover like two to three episodes per podcast episode. Sounds good. Guys, look for that in the far off future. (laughs) Back to Way of Kings. (laughs) Yasna is saying, I didn't want to take a chance at all. And Yasna has dropped. How do I say this? Shalon is no longer hero worshiping this woman. She doesn't even want to touch her. She doesn't want to talk to her. She is reeling from this night and she realizes that Yasna doesn't deserve to own this soul caster. The sacred object. The sacred object. Yasna's sitting there, brushing her hair. The soul caster's been taken off. Shalon takes it. She... She quickly pops out the smokestone in her soul caster. Yes. So she pops the smokestone out of hers and swaps them and has zero qualms about what she has done. Um, She's sure that Yasna is going to know this because... How could Yasna not realize the soul caster's gone? But but she doesn't even notice. Not when she picks up the soul caster to put it away. Uh, not when she locks it away with the key around her neck. Shalon says, Shalon walked from the room, stunned, in turmoil, exhausted, sickened, confused, but undiscovered. And so this is the part that I was so surprised happened already. I mm-hmm. thought that, that um, there was almost going to be a heist scene or you know (laughs) where she's trying to figure out how to swap it out but it's really a moment of opportunity and she takes it and I was very surprised it happened so early quote unquote in the story yes we're 667 pages into the story yeah no you talked about arcs with with Kaladin and I feel here like like we thought this was going to be the culmination of Shallan's arc but Mm -hmm. this is definitely like it's a turning point for her for sure Mm -hmm. but yeah there's there's more to her story because now that she has it, what has to happen next? She has to leave and get it back to her brothers mm-hmm. and still figure out how it works. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if she is going to stick around for a while or if she's going to use this as an excuse that this is too much and she's going to leave. Um, because Yasna didn't seem to realize the thing's broken. And so I don't know if Yasna is going to assume that the thing got broken because she used it so much but when the smoke stone broke she wasn't concerned it just you replace the pieces that get broken and so that is a good way for her to assume that someone swapped out 
her soul yeah. caster. She can just assume her soul caster's broken. Yeah. Could you imagine if Shalon really had the courage to swap it before the philosophy <clears throat> lesson? And then they end up in the street and Yas has got the broken soul caster. Like, would would do you think Shalon would have pulled it out of her pulled it out and of just her been like, glove and been like just kidding? Yeah. Like, oh, that would have gone so horribly. I guess we better hope they don't do any more philosophy <laughs> lessons before Shalon gets away. Yeah. Because here here's now what I'm wondering is um We've talked about Navani. She's an inventor. Is she also a builder mm-hmm. of Fabriels? Like, if Yasna realizes this is broken, can she write to her mom and say, send me another one? Mm-hmm. Or is it strictly um, monitored because Fabriels are supposed to be, her soul casters at least, are supposed to be a yeah. holy... I don't know why they call them uh-huh. soul casters. Uh, I, I... Like, I'm so set on it, like, taking a little piece of her soul or something like that, but that may be too, too literal. Let's. I don't know if they if they literally tell us exactly how the name came around, mm-hmm. but let's talk about it more in book two. Okay. Because slight, vague spoiler, <laughs> we will be meeting professional soul casters who use these professionally. Okay. Because um the king's the king has you know, an the, army of them that does that. Yeah, we have a ton of soul casters out in the Shattered Plains. Actually, it might even be in this book. No, I think it's the next book. Because they talk about the banquet, like, basin that they've created, mm-hmm. so we at least know they're there. The soul casters turn things into lumber. They turn things into food. That's, like, how we keep the army fed. Mm-hmm. And, and the uh, the high princes have not been paying their proper taxes to the king for the use of his soul casters. That's right. That's right. That's another thing that we've got to be careful of. So, um, there we go. We learned some philosophy. We saw... Oh, real fast. Jumping way back... <laughs> What do you think the face in the storm was? I am going to assume it was the storm father that... That seems like a very good guess. <laughs> Thank you. And I'm intrigued to see if Kaladin's going to tell anyone about it. Like, hey, I was... I think I was judged. Or if he's going to be like, did I really see that? I don't I don't recall how faithful Kaladin is if he's mentioned if he's like a man of faith or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And so I'm intrigued if he's going to be like, did I imagine it? Or is he going to have like a, a crisis of faith? Um. All right. Here's here's another question for you. Back to Yasna and Shalon. Mm-hmm. Shalon's only in the bathing chamber because now Yasna has immense trust in her. Mm-hmm. So let's say that Yasna does discover immediately that the Fabriel is stolen. Do you think Shalon would be the number one suspect? Or do you think she could pin it on... Like, do you think Yasna would be suspecting, you know, like Capsule or the librarians or just other characters we've met? I think she, I think Yasna would be foolish not to suspect Shalon, but I feel that she would also, um, what's the word I'm looking for? She would also dismiss it almost immediately because of, okay, because the way that Shalon has been acting or the way that she acted after that, that thing, um, but I would I would assume that the next uh, culprit, the next suspect, would be Capsule. Oh. The jam boy. <laughs> yeah. And so I don't know jam, if... Jam, 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 Because I feel like it, I wouldn't put past Shalon, or I wouldn't put it past Yasna to have some sort of way to read people's minds. <laughs> like... Uh, I don't think soulcasters do that. 
or some sort of truth serum or like, I don't know. I don't know if yeah, if Shallan's going to try and create a diversion, but if she tries to run, if she tries to run, Yasna has unlimited resources. I feel there are, I feel there's no place that Yasna can go without, I feel there's no place Shallan can go without Yasna finding her. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know how she's going to get it back to her family. I don't know if, yeah, if there's going to be another philosophy lesson and they're going to be royally screwed. I don't know. And I really want to find out. All right. Well, uh, I'm going to tell you the titles of the chapters we're going to read next week. Okay. And I'm going to give you the first sentence of our first chapter Yay! from next week. So we're going to be reading four chapters again. Uh, one of them's very long. One of them's very short. So we start with chapter 37, Sides. Chapter 38, Invisager. 39, Burned Into Her. Oh, no. Chapter 40, Eyes of Red and Blue. Hold on. Would you like to guess who's doing... Sorry, 37 through 41? 37 through 40. So 37 is called Sides. Who do, who do you think is? Who do you I think that's a Shallan chapter. Okay, thirty-eight Invisager. Oh, that I think is also a Shallan chapter. All right, thirty-nine burned into her. That's got to be a Shallan chapter. And forty eyes of red and blue. And I think that's a Kaladin chapter. Okay, I'm gonna read you the first sentence of chapter thirty-seven. Okay, sides. Kaladin, look at this rock, Tien said. No, stop it. <laughs> it changes colors when you look at it from different sides. Stop it. I don't want to read. I don't want to read about Tien. I cannot. I cannot do this. I thought well, I thought sides. We'll oh, good. You thought size was Shallan. Yeah. You were incorrect. I thought it was going to be she discovered something that Yasna would have discovered immediately and then people have to pick sides of who believes who or who's on whose side or well we'll see if I can convince Emily to read about Tien <laughs> uh, but thank you all so much for joining us in a philosophy hour with Emily and Megan our third hour uh, of podcasting our third hour of podcasting of the night my name it's still Megan. Had to check for a second there. And you know what? I don't think I have the juice to go back to storyboarding, but I'll do it first thing tomorrow. My name is Emily. I'm also wrung out, but I also may stay up late and read Way of Kings. And after that, I'll work on my book. Oh, my gosh. No, I'm not. I can't read a TN chapter tonight. You're, 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 you won't have to record it. Can I just watch you read it on video chat? <laughs> I'll think about it. Convince me. Okay. Convince uh, me I why. Be- <laughs> because TN's fine in this chapter. Okay. That's the only reason <laughs> I would read it. <laughs> Spoiler alert. All right. Uh, I believe in you. I believe in you. All right. Ready? Break. Break. We did it.
chunk of chapters that was. Tune in next Thursday, December 30th to catch our last Roswell 1999 episode of the year and then meet us in the fresh new first week of January to catch our following Way of Kings episode on Thursday, January 6th. Special use, special use, special thanks to Michael Biancardi for the use of his song, A Passing Storm, on our intro and outro. Catch us on social media at SisMadeMeViewIt, now featuring mm, many more photos of my cats since I finally have a new phone that can take good pictures. Well, listeners, I leave you now to go finish crafting my Christmas presents that I have yet to complete, but uh, I'll catch you in the new year. Until then, I believe in you. And after that, too. I believe in you that after that, too. Okay, bye!